Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. This episode of Health Bite is sponsored by Dell Nutrition, a line of functional nutrition bars and supplements. You can find out more at DellNutrition.com. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Sophia Yen. Dr. Yen is CEO and co-founder of Pandia Health, an online birth control and delivery company that was born out of her passion for making women's lives easier and preventing unplanned pregnancies. Dr. Yen comes with more than 20 years of experience in medicine. She's board certified in adolescent medicine. She graduated with a bachelor's of science from MIT and an MD from UCSF School of Medicine, as well as an MPH from UC Berkeley in maternal child health. She is also the founder of SheHeroes.org, as well as female-founded, female-led. In this conversation, she talks about her passion for women's health and women's well-being and how it has led to teaching women about taking ownership of their reproductive health. Without further delay, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to Health Bite, our podcast where we dive into all things health and wellness. I'm so happy to be with you here today, Dr. Yen. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share some reproductive health knowledge with your listeners. Yeah, well, this is perfect because at the time of this recording, we come at the first few days of March, which is dedicated to women. And so to focus on women's health and specifically on women's reproductive health, which is something that you're so passionate about, is totally timely and appropriate. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about your current endeavors in Pandia Health and what that's all about. Yeah. So about six years ago, I was giving a lecture to a bunch of physicians. Why don't those pesky women take their birth control? And one of the top reasons was they didn't have it in their hand. They didn't have time to run to the pharmacy every single month at that proscribed one week ahead of time. Because if you go eight days ahead of time, and most of us run out on Sunday. So if you go the Sunday ahead of time, the insurance company goes, uh-uh, not going to cover it. You have to come back tomorrow. And my friend and I, at that time, everything was coming in the mail. And we're like, well, this can come in the mail and we will target the 20 something and make it mobile, make it you know, delightful, throw in some free goodies every single month, set it and forget it. Let Pandia worry so you don't have to. And then when we ran ads for free birth control delivery, 60% of people that responded didn't have a prescription. And as an entrepreneur, I didn't want to run ads where 60% of my ads was not going to be fruitful. And as a physician, I can write birth control. And so thus Pandia Health was born, the end-to-end solution for birth control from an online doctor's visit, if you need it, to the medication delivered to your door. So if you already have a prescription and you have insurance to cover the medications, you pay us nothing. And if you need to use our doctors, it's $20 once a year. So from an entrepreneurial mind, of course, you saw a problem and fulfilled a need, which was being able to deliver reliable birth control to women and not have to worry about intervening forces like time constraints and insurance constraints, which is definitely an annoyance, whether it comes to birth control or other medications. But also from a physician's perspective, there is this aspect of health, of course, and well-being when it comes to reproductive health. And so I'm curious what kind of took you in this venue of women's well-being and health. Yeah. So, you know, growing up as a young 
reproductive age female who wanted to be a doctor in the future was sexually active and was like, I can't get pregnant because it will destroy my future career. And so seeing the need for access to comprehensive sex ed and confidential reproductive health services, I was like, am I going to be an OB-GYN when I go into medical school? And then I found adolescent medicine, which is a subspecialty of either pediatrics, family practice, or internal medicine. You do an extra three years of training to specialize in what I call sex, drugs, rock and roll, a little acne, and some sports medicine. And then being an academic, I subspecialized in the sex part in preventing sexually transmitted infections, but preventing unplanned pregnancies. And then I stumbled upon a new concept that I'll present to you all now, hashtag periods optional, realizing that you can use birth control, not for birth control, but hormonal treatment that anybody with a uterus who's bleeding one week out of four, we now have the technology to make it such that you can bleed whenever, how often you would like to bleed. So if you like me don't like to bleed every single month, and would like to bleed every three months, six months, or never, we can now do this with the IUD with hormone, the implant, the shot, the ring, the patch, the pill, more reliable with the estrogen progesterone methods of the pill patch ring, but definitely can be done with the progesterone only methods as well. And it decreases your risk of endometrial, ovarian, and colorectal cancer. Talk a little bit about that because I think the concept of suppressing periods may come across to some people as quote unnatural, right? Like this is how our bodies were made. We're supposed to have periods every month. And so there may be some reluctance in altering our cycles in a way that would do that. So can you talk about maybe some of the misconceptions around that? And then I want you to dig a little bit deeper into the health benefits. So I thought I came up with the idea in 2006 when I was trying to get pregnant. I realized the only reason that those of us with uteruses bleed is we didn't get pregnant that month. So conversely, the only reason we build up that lining of the uterus rich, full of blood every month is embryo or baby. Oh, okay. No embryo, baby bleed. And then we build it up again. Oh, embryo, baby? No, bleed. And we do this in the United States on average from age 12 to 26, or for those of us who had to go through med school and had more education, 35, or took a while to find your significant other, we pop out two babies, and then we bleed on this side as well. And every time we build that lining, we risk endometrial cancer because you can have a mutation. Every time we pop out an egg, and we don't know if it's the popping or the healing or the tube or something, we risk ovarian cancer. And it's actually unnatural how many times we are growing and shedding and growing and shedding and popping and bleeding and popping and bleeding compared to what is natural. And so the research I have to present to you is Dr. Beverly Strassman studies the Dogon tribe in Mali, Africa. And this is not hundreds of years ago or 50 years ago, this is now. And the women there have a hundred periods in their lives we have in the first world countries, and they don't die earlier, they die the same age we do, we have 350 to 400 periods because they start their periods at 16. We start our periods at 12. They have more importantly eight or nine children. So they spend eight or nine years pregnant. We have two children. How many periods you have when you're pregnant? Zero. They breastfeed exclusively for 12 months. How many periods do you have when you exclusively breastfeed? Zero. So another eight or nine years of breastfeeding without periods. We breastfeed for zero 
three or six months. So in summary, 100 periods is more natural, 350, 400 is unnatural. Over here, incessantly pregnant or breastfeeding, not saying we should be that way, but if you wanna talk about natural. And then over here, 350 to 400 periods. So we have three and a half to four times of what is quote natural. And by having fewer periods, the medical benefits, the number one cause of anemia in a menstruating woman, you remember this from med school, is menstruation. That's what we ask all our medical students as they go through OB-GYN rotation. What's the number one cause of anemia in a menstruating woman? And we gave you the answer in the question, menstruation. The number one cause of missed school and work under the age of 25, not in some third world country, but here in the United States, is menstruation, bad, evil cramps and pain. Every time I give this talk to a room of 30 people, three women will come up and say, oh, my periods are horrible. Should I tell my team or you know, what should I do? And I'm like, aren't you a CEO? Don't you have insurance? Maybe you should go talk to your doctor about this. And certainly you can start with ibuprofen, 600 milligrams with food. Otherwise you come up with an ulcer and make sure you don't have any kidney problems three times a day for up to five days. And that will decrease the blood by 30%. And if that fails you, then it's time to go talk to a medical professional. And just because it runs in your family doesn't mean it has to be. So a lot of people are like, oh, everyone in my family has this. But just because everyone in your family is rolling around in pain and bleeding like stink does not mean you have to go through that as well. But what's even more impressive is other medical conditions that would be better without the monthly bleed. And the reason why is in order to do the bleed, our hormones go up and then they go down and our hormones go up and then they go down. And on the birth control pills, patch ring, your hormones are up for three weeks and then you drop them. But this week is totally optional. You can take this week off every three months, every six months or never. And so the things that'll benefit from a smooth hormonal level you can imagine are a lot of things. One of them that absolutely surprised me, asthma. And so asthma has catamenial, which is with every bleed, exacerbations. Depression, also menstrual migraines. If you get rid of menstrual, the bleeding, then you won't have the migraine that is associated with it. A lot of migraines in and of themselves are exacerbated by having a period. So if you notice any health problem in your life gets worse with bleeding or leading up to bleeding or after bleeding, if we eliminate that bleeding, we eliminate that precipitant. And diabetes, so diabetes is all about tight hormonal control. But if you're doing up and down and bleeding and using energy loss, that's gonna mess up diabetes. Seizure disorder. Again, it's all about maintaining a stable level of your drug. And if your internal hormones are going up and down, again, not so good for seizures. Infectious disease, that's more in third world country, developmental delay. You can imagine if you have the brain of a five-year-old and you have blood coming out of your uterus, then you're like, oh my God, I'm dying. Or, ooh, this is some cool finger paint that I'm gonna spread around. And then military mobilized personnel. If you are running away from attack dogs that are sniffing you, the person without a uterus is gonna be fine. The person with a uterus and bleeding will leave a trail that this attack dog can hunt you down. And also, where do you dispose of your menstrual products? You know, the astronauts are having this problem too. And also academic performance. I was a pre-med, MIT, biochem final, all of a sudden, blood! And, oh my goodness, do I finish this exam or do I like run to the bathroom? And the answer, if you're pre-med, you finish the exam. 
But was I a little distracted? Definitely. I looked to my left, I looked to my right, two non-uterine bearing people, and they're like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I think your point, though, towards the precipitating factors with menses, so there's so many people who have migraines related to periods, and so many people who have not only cramps, but the, the mood disorders is another one, premenstrual mood disorders or depression, is a really, in addition to, you know, all the other things that you mentioned, such a compelling reason. Can you mention, though, at what point is too long, too long? So physiologically speaking, at what point do women really need to have a menses in order to shed that uteral lining so that they don't run into, you know, too much thickening or hyperplasia of the uterus? What is your guidance there? The research has shown that, you know, you can go out to a year and not have any problems. And so you could either schedule a bleed every three months. And I want people to know you don't have to use the pill that's designed for the three month bleed. Just ask your physician to write skip placebo and make sure they give you 17 packs a year instead of 13 packs a year. You know, inevitably you will mess up. Either you will experience breakthrough bleeding on your own at three months, six months or nine months, or if you're luckier, you may not experience any, but inevitably you'll forget three days in a row. And if you forget three days in a row, or often when I go traveling, Vegas, Hawaii, New York, or wherever, I forget to bring my pills, though I've now learned and taught hopefully my patients to carry extra pack in your travel bag so that you always have one in case. If you miss three pills, you will bleed. And then I say, just stop for five days. And then on day six, whether or not you're still bleeding, restart. Because they've actually shown that the original pill had seven days off, but the original pill was 100 micrograms of estrogen. And now we're down to 30. For those 30 and above, we can go down to 20. But they'll see escape ovulation on day five or six. And so you'll see the newer pills only have four days off instead of seven. And if you have a higher body mass index, a higher weight, compared to the average, then you have a greater risk of this escape ovulation and therefore pregnancy, but also just ovulation. If you have PCOS, you don't want to ovulate. Yeah, I want you to talk a little bit about BMI and some of the other factors that people should consider with birth control in terms of, you know, what they may have to watch out for efficacy wise or, or otherwise. As the CEO of the only women-founded and women-led, but particularly doctor-led birth control delivery company, as long as I'm CEO, we will always tell people what's best for your health, even if it doesn't benefit our bottom line. And as an academic physician, I've written 2,000 birth control prescriptions over two years, and I've looked at ethnic differences in response to the birth control and have discussed it with my colleagues across the nation. I think those of us who are people of color forget that most of medicine is based on the 70 kilo white male, but I don't know what they did for the birth control pill, but it wasn't people of color. And so we were always taught, and I don't know if you were taught, Dr. Yudin, as well, norgestimate is the go-to progesterone for your birth control pill. And I, as an Asian American, had tried it, and then I had to go through two or three other birth control pills until I found one that worked. And then as I got into the birth control field about six years ago intensely, I looked at the science and the research and I found that desogestrel has about the same efficacy but less breakthrough bleeding and had worked for me. And then we tested it in Asians, Blacks, Latinas, and it works better for them in terms of breakthrough bleeding. And so the only people I put norgestimate on now are Caucasians that want to bleed every month. 
but everybody else, we start up on desogestrel. And so what I want your listeners to know is that if one pill fails you, there are 39 other pills, but at the very least note the progesterone because there are eight different progesterones. And if you don't like this progesterone, there are seven other progesterones that you can try. So there's breakthrough bleeding, which can be a consideration. What are other features that commonly people complain about with birth control that can maybe be mitigated by switching to a different one? Yeah. So the research has shown any birth control pill, if you have hormonally related acne, works. However, if you look and study, there are the androgenic effects of the progesterones. And the ones that have a higher androgenicity are more likely to give you zits, acne, and more likely to mess up your lipid profile. So to give you a low HDL and an elevated LDL. And so you want to choose a lower androgenicity. The problem is sometimes people go, oh, well, I have decreased libido, though I don't find that in my 20-something patients, more my older patients. But then in order to increase the libido, we have to increase the androgenicity, but then you have a higher risk of acne or bad lipids. The bad lipids isn't that significant but the acne can be irritating. And some of the older ones, levonorgestrel, norgestrel, norethindrone, have more of the androgenic kind of side effects. And we actually, if you Google Pandia Health, how to prescribe birth control, we have how to problem shoot some of the most common side effects. And then I have an Excel spreadsheet that I've published in a publication, but I've also put up, updated with all the drugs listed by androgenicity and then progestational effect. And the progestational effect is for the breakthrough bleeding. One myth I want to dispel is do birth control pills make you gain weight? If you take 100 women and put them on the birth control pill and 100 women not on the birth control pill, the 100 women on the birth control pill on average will weigh a pound less. Not a pound less every day, every week, so it's not a weight loss magical thing. But the people over here not on birth control are bloating up and bloating down and bloating up and bloating down. And so they on average weigh one pound more. So in general, birth control pills do not make you gain weight, but each individual responds differently to different progesterones. So if you're on a particular progesterone, maybe it will give you the munchies and it's how you respond to the munchies, specifically the birth control method Depo-Provera is famous for munchies. And so if you're like me, I love everything sweet, donuts, cupcakes, ice cream, dessert, you name it, I will eat it. Then you will gain weight on that method unless you switch to diet soda or fruits and you know lots of vegetables, less carbs, stuff like that. So it's important, I think, to just highlight a couple of things that you mentioned, which is the variability in response, right, to the different types of birth control and to recognize that you can target your particular disposition or interests. So if libido is a factor or an issue that you're dealing with or interested in managing, having a birth control that has more androgenicity or more kind of male dominant hormone profile as compared to somebody who's primarily concerned about facial acne wants the opposite, something that has less of that male dominant hormonal profile. And that there can be variability with the weight issue, but also you mentioned the breakthrough bleeding. And is there any information on efficacy in terms of preventing pregnancies in relationship to excess weight? 
Yes. Thank you for bringing me back to body mass index. Anytime your body mass index is greater than 35, all of these methods were made for quote 70 kilo male, but not, it was probably a lesser 55 or, you know, 60 kilo female that it's based on. And so if you're BMI, so everybody that's on birth control, anybody with a uterus should BMI calculator, find out your BMI and know that if your BMI is 35 or greater, then most of the methods will fail you except for the IUD and the ring, I believe are better. But even the ring has its limitations. I would say the IUD and the implant are probably the ones that are okay with the higher BMIs. And then particularly for anybody using emergency contraception, I just surveyed a hundred female physicians last month. And I said, are you aware that if somebody's body mass index is 26 or greater, plan B and its generics do not work. And 89% of them did not know that. So I want people to know that there are four forms of emergency contraception. The most effective is the copper IUD and the New England Journal just put out one that the hormonal IUD, which I much prefer, can also be used for emergency contraception. But the copper IUD, in general, if you're just using it as a birth control method, more blood, more cramps. But if you're a person who doesn't feel any of your periods and bleeds very, very lightly, copper IUD is great. But if you bleed like stink, not the copper IUD. If you feel every cramp through your uterus, not the copper IUD. But anyway, for emergency contraception though, I would use it because it's 99.99999% effective. How does the IUD work when it's being used for emergency contraception? So the copper ions affect the sperm. They don't kill the sperm, but they paralyze the sperm and doesn't allow them to move. And so it's spermicidal, ovicidal. And so you could imagine it probably could, you know, terminate as well a one cell organism if the sperm and egg were to hook up. So they yes. insert the IUD and it's meant as a means of long-term birth control, but also the emergency contraception. The thing is they've done surveys that 10% of women showing for emergency contraception would accept the copper IUD mm. and who better to put a 10 year long birth control pill than somebody who had an oopsie. Cause if you had one oopsie, maybe you're gonna have another oopsie. And as long as you're here, let's set you up. And it's absolutely reversible. So if at any time you want to remove it, you could have it removed. Cause a lot of people are concerned, no, 10 years, I don't wanna do 10 years. No, it's up to 10 years. The second most effective emergency contraception, the one that if you haven't recently been educated or your physicians aren't very proactively into birth control, cause there's so many things for doctors to know and remember is Ella. It's a prescription emergency contraception and under the Affordable Care Act, no copay, no deductible, AKA free if you have insurance. And it works better at every time point and it also works for people who have a BMI of 26 up to a BMI of 35. Once your BMI is 35, your only option is an IUD for emergency contraception. And then the third, second to last most effective emergency contraception is plan B and it's generics. And so again, if your BMI is 26 or greater, it doesn't work. You theoretically could double up on it, but why double up and take a lesser efficacy when you can go with prescription Ella? And I want people to think about emergency contraception like a fire extinguisher. You ask for the one with the farthest expiration date and it just sits in the corner in case of an emergency. If the condom breaks, I want that medicine in the person with the uterus's mouth. If it condom pops at 3 a.m., I want the medicine in the uterine bearing person's mouth at 3.10. I don't want any cuddling, snuggling, waiting till the morning after, because if at any time that person with the uterus pops out an egg, a lot of these methods won't work. The copper IUD will, but the other methods are mainly blocking that egg from coming out by telling the body she's pregnant. 
why would you want to pop out an egg? So timing is important. I think to go back to the point of the BMI and for people who don't know their BMI, it might be worthwhile to just say that you can Google BMI calculator, type in your weight and your height, and it's basically a construct that gives you a number and BMIs calculate the degree of excess weight. So anything over 25 is considered quote overweight and there's limitations which are beyond the scope of our conversation but over and over 30 are obese, but 67% of the population does have a BMI of over 25. So that is something that's important and something that each person can calculate on their own. So I wanted to shift a little bit to talking about in terms of contraception and reproductive health and overall, not just health of women, but also well-being. And maybe if you can speak a little bit in terms of access to contraception. I am absolutely passionate about those of us with uteri and women and young girls empowerment. I co-founded She Heroes. My sorority sister actually dragged me in and it's free online videos targeting third to eighth graders and boys and girls can watch the videos to highlight women in jobs where we're generally underrepresented. Because if you can't see it, you can't be it. Though certainly many of us have been things we couldn't see, but would help to see someone who's done it to know that it's possible. The other organization I've now founded on the other side is with female founded, female led, full.co. So we want the sky full, we want our heart full, we want the glass full, we want the table full, and it's not full unless women are participating. And the idea of FFFL.co, female founded, female led.co, is to increase consumers awareness that if you have two companies please choose the one all things being equal that is female founded and female led because only three percent of venture funding goes to female founded female led companies if you look at the fortune 500 very few women have broken into that. In terms of women's health, I want people to think about birth control not as birth control, but as hormonal treatment. And I have a proposal to physicians that we no longer call them OCP, oral contraceptive pills, but we call them EPP, estrogen progesterone pills, and that they can be used for treating painful, horrible periods, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, acne, but also taking control of how often and when you bleed so that your young person can be competitive. And as an adolescent medicine specialist, you can start allowing a person with a uterus to choose when and how often they bleed two years after they get their first period. Because if you throw estrogen sooner, they might lose an inch or two of their height or theoretically even six inches of their height. And so I have short Asian daughters that I want to maximize height. So two years after they get their period, I will give them the option to choose how often they want to. The point of Pandia Health is to bring birth control to women in the United States, wherever you have internet and a mailbox. And we provide care, convenience, and confidentiality. And so these are barriers for women. Having, um, I actually coined the term pill anxiety. And when you think about it, you imagine three weeks of pills and then that last week. And if you don't get to the pharmacy, there will be a dire consequence. So for women's wellness, we have this subliminal nagging, got to get to the pharmacy, got to get to the pharmacy. If I don't get to the pharmacy, something very bad will happen every single month for 30 years of our lives, which I call pill anxiety. And we should just be able to set it, forget it. It should come in the mail, autopilot. And that is really why we created Pandia Health. The other part is confidentiality. 
Um, I hope for the day that we can ask our customers, do you want your packaging confidential or confident? And I'm hoping that they can default to confident, but right now we're doing confidential. But you can see even in Silicon Valley or even in New York, if I walk into a pharmacy and then my boss walks in after me, what are you doing here, Sophia? And I should be proud and be like, I'm taking care of my birth control. I'm not having babies when I don't want to have babies, but also I'm increasing my productivity not by not bleeding every single month and randomly hit with blood and being distracted and in pain. But a lot of people aren't as confident as you and I. And a lot of people aren't in liberal places where we freely can talk about birth control. And even in liberal places, very rarely does anyone talk about their birth control. And so allowing this to just come in the mail where you won't be slut shamed by the pharmacist who's like, oh, Sophia, you here again for birth control. And then chatty Nancy tells the whole village why you were at the pharmacy. I like the concept of using reproductive health and also the gender differences in health as a what means to kind of change the narrative around women's empowerment. And I think that's a unique angle, but something that I think really resonates. So I appreciate this conversation. I think you brought a lot of great pearls. And in addition to Pandia Health, I'm really interested in shehears.org. I do have two daughters, so I'm excited to share that with them. Thank you for your time and your information and your passion in promoting all things around women's health and well-being. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me and having this ability to share. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and are inspired to take a small bite towards your own health and wellness. If you love what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or anywhere else you podcast and share us. If you're looking for more inspo, you can find lots of content and sign up for my newsletter at dellnutrition.com. There you can learn more about me and my curated line of supplements and functional protein bars. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to seeing you again next week.